Well, hello, Browns fans, and welcome to OBR Weekly, a.k.a. Fred's favorite time of the week, because he gets to talk to me, Barry McBride, publisher of the OBR on the Internet Colossus of Browns Sports Talk Radio, OBR Weekly. Fred, how you doing, sir? Good to see you, my man. Just wonderful. I know you are. I know you're doing just wonderful, because we get to talk. Cleveland Browns here on OBR Weekly for the next hour. Um, <clears throat> let's uh, let, let's get this out of the way right off the bat. Uh, if uh, you are familiar with the program, and uh, gee, I hope you are, uh, this uh, program is really driven by your comments and questions. Uh, I prepared like four or five questions for Fred uh, that will take like 10 minutes to go over. The rest of it is your show. Uh, so please hit us up with your comments and questions in the chat room. We'll get them in the queue as quickly as possible and we'll drive through them. Um, there's I'll a couple say things. something here. Please, <laughs> okay. please give me questions because his are so lame that, <laughs> you know, that I, I get tired of trying to please him mm -hmm. and, you know, placate him. So <laughs> give me some good stuff, man. Exactly, exactly. Fred is relying on you for interesting questions. Uh, because here's an example of a Barry question, right? Deshaun Watson avoided talking to the media today. And uh, frankly, after some of the things the national media is saying about Watson, uh, who could blame him for not talking to the media? At any rate, um, the Browns uh, quarterback limbo uh, as Watson rebuilds strength in his shoulder. Uh, P.J. Walker will helm the offense again this week in Seattle against the 4-2 Seahawks, who've only given up 118 points. The Browns have only given up 115, so that's pretty good for the Seahawks. At any rate, Fred, full week of practice for P.J. Walker. Are you expecting to see improvement uh, from Walker given the whole week of practice? You know, anything noticeable this week versus the last two games we've seen from Walker? Well, to be honest, anything would be an improvement. I think he's the worst ranked quarterback in the NFL right now, um, which doesn't say much. Um, I mean, he's completing 50% of his passes. Um, I mean, I would hope so. I would hope that, okay, if they're going to tailor a game plan for him, they would simplify it and just – Find something that he does good or does well and just stick with that um, because I haven't been able to figure out what that is. I was under the impression that when they had Deshaun Watson, Joshua Dobbs, and they drafted Dorian Thompson Robinson, that they wanted all these quarterbacks with the same skill set. And I assume PJ Walker had a similar skill set. I have come to the conclusion he does not have a skim a similar skill set. He doesn't run the ball. Mm. I mean, he can he can do a little eluding the the pass rush, but he doesn't take off and run. And I think you need to have a little of that. In fact, I, I'm a proponent right now that if you're gonna go with Walker, they don't have to say this but I would put together a package for DTR to have him specifically come in and, and do a few plays, namely take off and run, you know, or do some things like that because I'm sorry. I mean, they won the last two games and a win is a win and he was at the controls, but does anybody think that he was the one to lead them down the field? Really? I mean, you had penalties that both games bailed them out. He did make a throw to Moore, which was big, you know, and, and I'm not taking away. He he did make a couple of throws, but I do not like, you know, what I've seen from him. And I know it's a small sample size, but yeah, I'm glad that they made the announcement today and get that out of the way because our story every day has been cut and paste. Deshaun Watson is day-to-day. -day. Deshaun Watson yeah. is day-to-day. -day. And at least now, this week, he's not day-to-day. -day. It's more like week-to-week. -week. But I don't know. I mean, he's got to get better. 
But if he doesn't get better, I don't see him winning. That's for sure. Right. <laughs> well, they're going against a four and two team this uh, weekend uh, at Seattle. They're wearing their retro uniforms, which is going to make it that much harder to beat them, you know, because they're wearing the the old the old school uniforms. Right. Um, but you know, the, the thing that worries me about Seattle is they're sixth, their defense is sixth against the run. If we can't run the ball, you know, and that's my next question is going to be about the running attack, but, uh, if we can't run the ball, that puts it all on PJ Walker. And, uh, that's not how we want to run our offense. Um, so let's talk about what's happening at running back. They're, uh, they're even thinner than they were before. Looks like Jerome Ford is going to be out for a couple of weeks. Uh, question I have is, is Kareem Hunt. Uh, he was su- supposedly on a limited pitch count last week because of thigh injury, and he didn't practice today. Uh, when, uh, uh, according to your story, Fred, um, is there any improvement with that thigh injury? Is he going to be on a pitch count again? Is it going to be the Pierre Strong show? Do we know anything about that, Fred? Well, they're certainly not going to tell us anything. We did talk to Kareem Hunt. I got some video clips, you know, of his interview. He's, you know, he he's looking forward to being the, this is, this is what, he, you know, it isn't the way that he dreamed it up, but this is his golden opportunity. He wanted to go somewhere, be a feature back. The Browns mm-hmm. let him go. He didn't get an offer. The way things worked out when Nick Chubb went down, they brought him in and now Jerome Ford has went down. That has totally opened the door for him to be the the bell cow, to be the feature back. He's not going to miss this game for the world. Um, Now, Kevin Stefanski was asking, he said he didn't have any concerns that Hunt wouldn't be ready for the game. I don't either. I expect him to be out there tomorrow. Last week, it was a game time decision, and I was told that he – implored to play it's a good thing he did because basically he scored two touchdowns so um now because it's still the thigh injury who knows but yeah they're extremely thin if you looked at my video today i videoed the running back room they were practicing and there was three of them two of them were signed today the practice squad so you had pierre strong jordan wilkins and Nate McCrary. McCrary and Wilkins are on the practice squad. They were both with the team in the spring. Uh, Stefanski said he expects to have three running backs for the game, so that would be Hunt, Strong, kind of in the number two role, and the third one would be whoever they pick. I would guess right now it would be Jordan Wilkins because he was doing some kickoff returning today. Uh, So – there's a, I think they cut McCrary to sign Wilkins or somebody back when, you know, back when they were going through that. So, yeah, they're they're thin there. I really think that they're counting on Hunt being able to go, and you know, and I would hope that he'd be able to take the lion's share of carries, and mm-hmm. you know, and Strong has looked pretty good in his in his uh, alternate uh, usage, but. They really need, you know, they really need to have, you know, something in the running game. You take that first play out or second play that Ford went 69 yards, you know, that was a big chunk of their rushing for the day. I mean, I I could not believe that Ford had two carries for 77 yards and a touchdown. He finished with 74 yards. Every carry pretty much was a negative the rest of the game, you know. Right. So. Yeah, it's going to be tough, and I think the the Seahawks are adding Frank Clark, who used to play for the the Chiefs. He's from Glenville High School, and Pete Carroll, I saw, said that he expected him to play already this weekend, so that doesn't help things. But, yeah, it's going to be tough, especially, like you said, they're going to take away the run and make the Browns throw the ball, and – you know, I'm not that confident in a 50% accurate quarterback. You can't get the ball to Mari Cooper. They got to change some things up to get some quick hitters and get real, you know, Gardner Mishu isn't that good either, but they found a way to run, run pass options and quick slants and quick outs 
you know, and you saw a missed tackle, 75-yard touchdown. Mm-hmm. You know, out there on the first or second, right off the bat, first series, you know, the 59 on a blown coverage. So Brown's got to find a way to get the ball out to Cooper or Peoples-Jones more right away and not, to, you know, not let the pass rush just bury Walker. You know, I, I think what I'm hearing is that Stefanski's going to have to game plan the hell out of this one, right? Because this is a defense that can stop the run. Uh, we've got a quarterback who is uh, not going to pass for 400 yards. The Seahawks have some uh, defensive backs who are very good at swiping the ball. They've got Jamal Adams back there. They're, uh, you know, these guys are not going to roll over and play dead uh, for the Cleveland Browns offense. And, uh, you know, we can't expect uh, the the defense to win every game for us, you know, um, obviously. So, hey, uh, comments, questions in the chat room. I'm counting on you, man. Hit us up. I'm going to go jump to those right now. Get away from my lame questions. Mope Dog in the Twitch chat room asks us, what message do you take from Miles' ownership with the Cavs? He is now a minority owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, does does that make you think that uh, Miles might be a Brown for life, Fred? Or is it uh, just, a, just a business endeavor for him? I think it's just rich guy has a lot of money and just looking to to get into other things maybe so he can get free tickets i don't know <laughs> he likes to go to the games so right. no i just think you know pro franchises are golden you know all you have to do is look at the haslams i mean they spent like a billion to buy the browns and seemed like uh, unheard of and the last estimate, it was over $5 billion. So that's not like having $1 million and, mo- and it being worth $5 million. $1 billion to $5 billion is like 100 times, like $100 million more. So everything's exponential in, in the NBA, NFL type of world. So, no, I just think he's. It's, he probably had his agent said, "Hey, see if I could get in." We don't know the percentage, you know. Yeah. At one time, I don't know if Usher's still a part owner, but I know that that was something there. Sometimes it's just for the brand, you know, and and the team uses it marketing as well, and so sure. good for him. But I don't think he's, you know, you know, in the position yet where the Haslam's are, where they're buying up bigger and bigger shares of pro teams, but. Right. Well, good for miles. You know, he's got a, he's got an investment. He's got a toy and uh, you know, good for Cleveland. He's investing in Cleveland in a way. Uh, OG Philly wants to know if there's something going on with Deshaun, uh, which I mentioned at the top of the show. Yeah. Yeah. There's a shoulder issue apparently. Uh, go read uh, Lane Atkins, uh, uh, what we've been told on the front page of the OBR for the latest from behind the scenes. Pair that up with what uh, Fred is telling you from Berea, and you get the whole picture of what we know uh, on Deshaun uh, Watson. Um, now, uh, Connie has stepped up in the YouTube chat room with a question that um, I was expecting to get a bunch of times here in the chat room because it is all over the forums. It is all over Ask the Insiders, what everybody wants to talk about, which is, uh, you know, if Watson is going to be out for any extended period of time or if this thing is going to linger, you know, should the Browns be working on getting another quarterback before the trade deadline, right? And she mentions Jacoby Brissett here. Um, and wants to know what we would be expected to give up in a potential trade. Now, Fred, I'm not going to ask you if they're going to do this, but if you were Andrew Barry, uh, what would you be doing right now with regard to this quarterback situation? Would you be trying to write it out and wait for Deshaun to come back and hold on to those draft assets, or would you be exploring every single possibility uh, there is under the sun? Well, I think it'd be negligent if he didn't explore all opportunities. 
I mean, the most logical everybody's talking about is the Brissette. And that is because he knows the offense and he could immediately step in and play. Um, because realistically, unless you have a guy who can immediately step in and play, it's not going to help you much. You know, you're not, you're not, they're not planning on Watson being done for the season. They're talking about, okay, sit him out this week and they're hoping he's ready to go next week against the Cardinals, you know, or even because that would be the sixth week from the injury. And if he didn't injure it any further, then it should be, you know, close to completely being healed. Even if they hold him out another week, I don't know if the game after is the Ravens the next game after the Cardinals or is that two weeks? Those are the two big ones they have is the Ravens and the Steelers back to back. And mm -hmm. you really need to be ready for those. But okay, if you get Brissett, I don't know what that would, you know, the he's the backup with the commanders, but they know the Browns would be desperate and they would probably have to give up something that that they really don't want for a short-term rental situation. I would revisit something that that they should have never done in the first place is seeing what it would take to get Dobbs back. Right. Because Kyler Murray's coming back next week against the Browns and Dobbs would be okay expendable unless Murray gets hurt again. So the Browns could use him. I would rather have Dobbs back than Brissett at this point. I, I think that was a complete mistake by the Browns with so much in the season riding that you traded Josh Dobbs and left yourself with no backup, but the rookie DTR. And, right. and so you're in this situation. I don't know if you could do it. There wasn't much. The biggest thing was the Cardinals were willing to take on his salary. If you just said, we'll take it back and give us our pick back or something, maybe you could do that. He could come right in and play. Um, but I don't know if the Cardinals would do that because they might be thinking of moving on from Murray or, or something down the road. I don't know what they're thinking, but as far as um, that would Brissett Dobbs to me are the most logical. I don't think anybody else, you know, would really be able to come in and play for a couple of weeks. If you signed mm -hmm. somebody or traded today, they could not play Sunday. They wouldn't be ready for the Seahawks. And, and I don't know if they'd be ready for next week's game without a little, you know, sheet on their, on their wrist. So I think they've got to scheme it up with what they have and, and try to ride out the tide. They're four and two. And I would think that they'd be all in to try to figure this out to get through this bridge situation is what they think it is because you've got a great defense, great special teams, and, you, and you're throwing away the season because of the quarterback play. Right now, the Browns quarterbacks, the three of them, are the worst in the NFL. Mm -hmm. You know, I wrote it in that story that I put out today. It's like the, their completion percentage, the rating percentage, it's just abysmal. Whether it's injury or not, that's where they're at. So you got great defensive play and special teams. You got to figure it out. And you just can't lose games on the offense, especially from the quarterback position. You got to give give them a chance. The defense and and special teams doing all they can to keep you in game. You just can't give give points away. Yeah, not exactly what we were thinking uh, or the Browns were thinking when they invested nearly a quarter billion dollars in uh, Deshaun Watson uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, that we would be last in the league in quarterback play, obviously. So the decision on whether to invest all these draft picks in a Jacoby Brissett or, you know, Kirk Cousins, if he were available, I don't think he is, um, depends on two things, right? Depends on whether Watson is injured worse than the team is letting on, right? That... This is going to, the team thinks this is going to linger and last the rest of the season. And he's, you know, it isn't just a matter of shutting him down for a couple of weeks. Or if the team has lost confidence in him and thinks the Tennessee game was a mirage and, you know, the quality of play that will ultimately get out, out of him 
uh, was is what we've seen in the other games, you know. Um, and if so, then you go ahead and you invest these high draft picks in getting some sort of a replacement for him. Uh, if not, uh, you don't. And at this point, it seems like uh, Andrew Barry, um, because we're not hearing buzz of all these rumors about them going after some big name quarterback, uh, seems to think that uh, Watson will come back uh, in a couple of weeks and that Watson will, uh, you know, return to the level of play we saw against Tennessee. Do you agree or no? We talked to Andrew Barry three weeks ago today during the bye. October 4th and was at, asked him directly this injury with, are you worried that this will linger? He said, this is a short term injury and we expect him fully to be able to go at, and the assumption was that at the end of the bye, which would have been the 49ers game, obviously that didn't happen. And so they are not thinking this is long-term. I don't think they're holding anything. I don't now if they were just going by Watson and hoping, you know, that's that's not very very good planning to just hope he's going to be okay. But everything they were told, they think that it should be no more than six weeks. If they were going to put him on injury reserve, if they would have done it as soon as he couldn't play in the Ravens game, he'd be eligible to be back, you know, by now. And mm-hmm. he might even be healthy by now. And so, yeah, I think they're all in on this. And they're counting on him playing like he did against the Titans. I think that there's what's going on is whether last week they said or they didn't push him to the point. I have to think they they pushed him to the point to make all the throws out and practice to prove to them he was ready to go. Because why else would they put him out there? You should have just left him until at least this week, you know? And so, I mean, it's the strangest thing. I think this has been totally mishandled. It just seems like they were hoping more than having any basis because um, to, to say he's completely okay and then he starts the game and then when he gets hit, He's pulled and he's not going back in because they want to protect him. Right. Well, right. you said he's cleared. You know, they were talking the concussion, but they never really addressed the shoulder issue. Now it's coming out that there was swelling in there. After the game, we asked Watson, did he loosen up? Did he test? He didn't even throw after that injury. He didn't even try to throw on the sideline. His body language was telling me that that he knew that he was hurt more. Now it come out in the MRI that he wasn't. So the swelling or whatever is probably the soreness and everything that he felt, but I don't know. It's, they got to figure out a way. I know they don't want to put him out there till he's ready to go, but I think, don't you think at 70, 75%, even if they made a game plan and said, okay, we're not throwing more than, five yards, 10 yards, just quick outs and just, you know, running for the sidelines or some type of a game management type game. I think he could have a better chance to manage the game than Walker. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I know that probably a team would, would hit him in the shoulder anyway. And even if they got a penalty, but it just seems like, you know, he's got to be able to do something, you know, and ramp up. I think, I think they were hoping to ramp him up more in the Colts game. And then, you know, you look at what the, I know it's a different injury, but Joe Burrow, we all knew he wasn't right, but he played and they muddled through it and won a game or two. And then he, he was getting healthy all the way. And now he's ready to go. It seems like, and right. And this Watson thing just keeps lingering week to week. And so I don't know. I don't know if the swelling will go down. He'll be able to throw next week or or what's going to go on. I will say Stefanski did say he will be throwing. That's part of his rehab. So whatever that means. Okay. Well, James Porch wants to know if there's anything that Stefanski's not telling us about Watson's injury 
that you've picked up on while being in practice in Berea. Um, I mean, this whole thing, it just seems like he's got a problem with his shoulder. He needs to rebuild his strength. They thought it might be back there last weekend. It obviously was not, and they got him the hell out of there as soon as they had a reason to and brought Walker in because it was evident that the strength was not yet back in his shoulder. That's what it seems like to me. Is it anything more than that, Fred, or, you know? It's kind of what I just answered, but. Yeah, um, I know. You know, as far as if you look at the hit, I didn't think it was a brutal hit. The guy just kind of pushed him and he yeah. fell on his on his left shoulder and then banged his head and his right shoulder. And so I'm sure it was sore. And I don't think they're they're really trying to hide anything. I mean, it's it's just like any of us out there. Like if you told if if I had a shoulder injury. And I'm telling you, I think, you know, and I've had it examined and looked at with MRIs and, and they look and go, there's really nothing wrong with you, but I know I cannot, and I try and I cannot fire the ball. Like I know I can, what are you going to do? I mean, it's not like he doesn't want to be out there. I, I hear this a lot. I've talked to plenty of the players on the inside there that that is not the case. He's dying to be out there. It's, he knows he can't, at least up until last week, that he can't fire the ball that he, like he needs to, and he doesn't want to be a sitting duck. So right. he would have been a sitting duck the rest of that game if he, if he, if it swole up and and he couldn't he couldn't throw, and he clearly didn't look like he was driving the ball in the short small sample size. He only threw five passes, but it didn't look like he was stepping in and firing it like. I've seen him do. You know, we've, we've got a couple of comments here. I, I, I want to address. Um, uh, let's go to Drew in Brick City here. He asked, what if, what if Brady Quinn is right? Well, and Brady Quinn, if you're not aware of this, I wrote about it in the Newswire this morning, basically says that said uh, that uh, it's his belief that Deshaun Watson just doesn't want to play because he's got a guaranteed contract, makes all this money. So, you know, he could probably play if he wanted to. And, um, you know, we've got from, from Keith, if Watson really wanted to play, he would play. And I, I think Watson really does want to play. And I think that they put him out there to play and they saw what the result was with the shoulder, the way that it is. And they pulled him out and they pulled him out for a good reason. He almost threw two picks and five passes. Right. He's just not ready. That that's my take. That's my opinion. Right. On it. Uh, I'm not a doctor. I can't tell you. But when it comes to Brady Quinn, that's Quinn's opinion based on his cynicism about the human race. Apparently, he doesn't know Deshaun Watson any better than I do. I have a different opinion on Deshaun Watson, but I'm not hanging out with Deshaun 24 hours a day. I'm not privy to his most innermost thoughts. And neither is Brady Quinn. What I'm telling you is uh, what I told people in the newswire this morning is I don't think it's responsible of Brady Quinn to go on a radio program and say that, right? That Watson doesn't want to play uh, because he's got money. Um, it makes no sense to me that you would go on a radio show and say that unless you had some evidence or a source to back that up. I'm sorry. I'm ranting. This is Fred's show. Fred, I don't know if you have a take on this nonsense or not. Yeah, Brady Quinn's off base. That's unfounded. You don't say stuff like you you have no idea what you're talking about. You can give an opinion, but to go on like like that's the fact is is totally I think he's wrong on that. Now, I mean the money keeps coming up, and it's obviously because of the underperformance, but I don't hear anybody talking about, you know, you don't hear that with Mahomes, you don't hear that with Joe Burrow, you don't hear that about any of the other ones. It's because he's underperforming. And and so that's the bottom line. He is a competitor and he knows that he got a lot of money and he knows there's a lot of criticism about him. And he, those that I've talked to in the locker room and just being around him a little bit, he is driven that he wants to be back in the conversation of being elite. He's alluded to it back to training camp is that 
he wants to be better. He doesn't want the standard to be what he was doing in Houston when he was considered a top five player. So I don't think that's just idle talk. He's got guaranteed money, whether he plays or not. And so what, you know, why would you just want to be criticized, you know, and just, you got all the money, you're set for life. If you want to play football, you could just say, you know, I'm hurt all the time and just collect a check. I don't think that's the case at all. It's very unfortunate that he didn't tell him, is my opinion, how bad it was before the Ravens game, because I don't think it would have got to that point. He had to have told him all week, I'm fine. I'm going to play. I will play. He told reporters on Friday before the Ravens game, I will be ready to go on Sunday. And, you know, and then you think a couple years ago with Baker Mayfield, Stefanski was being criticized every week because he was playing Baker Mayfield and he had Case Keenum on the bench. Here you got a quarterback that probably should sit out, but you don't really have an adequate backup because the front office traded him away. And the coach is being criticized because he knows that. And he, he kind of, I think, agrees that he wants uh, Watson to be out there. And, and so it's, it's kind of, you get, you get criticized all the way around. What they need is whatever it takes. And I think that's the problem is you don't have a definitive. There's, there's not a little timer that goes off and goes, boom, he's completely a hundred percent back to normal on October 28th or November 1st. It's a, it's kind of a, it should be, you know, when they said originally two to six weeks, then it was kind of more definitive four to six weeks. Well, Sunday against the Colts was four weeks. So you think, okay, he's a fast healer. Well, there was obviously still an issue going on in there. This Sunday would be five. So if he didn't injure it further, you would hope by the Cardinals game, that would be the sixth week, you know, maybe he was ready to go. And it's all behind him, but I don't know. I don't know how much of the swelling causes a setback in the throwing motion. That's right. that's the question that nobody seems to know. Right, exactly. I mean, I've got a problem with my shoulder. You know what my doctor told me? It, uh, it'll probably go away sometime in the next year. You know, maybe six months. Yeah, don't play faster. in the NFL. Yeah. I'm not going out there to play quarterback anytime soon, but – I mean, you just see how accurate these things are, how precise they are, you know, at any rate. I'm sorry, I had to vent on that a little bit. Um, and, uh, you know, please keep the comments coming, whether you agree with me or disagree with me, whatever. Just keep them coming. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Um, this next question is from Stephen Glock. He wants to talk about Corderell Patterson, uh, a guy, a multi-talented, uh, fast player who could help at running back wide receiver in the return game. Uh, he wants to know what it would take to get him. Um, would a guy like that help the Browns at this point, do you think, Fred, uh, an all-purpose player like Patterson? Well, I think in the return game for sure because it doesn't take a lot to get up to speed in the return game. You just basically in both punt and kick, put him back there. Um, yeah, he definitely would be a help because he can do it all. I don't, I haven't followed his situation. I don't know if he's playing. I don't know what, what his salary is. I don't know if he's in the last year of his contract because if he's in the last year of his contract, this is probably somebody Jack Duffin put up on his Twitter. He seems to be always ahead on these things, mm. what his salary is. He, he would be somebody that I think could step in quickly. The problem with, trades why you don't have so many in the NFL is because it just seems to take longer for people to get up to speed. It's, it's much more team oriented and playbook oriented than it is like in baseball where you can get a bat who just, Hey, Barry, go up and hit, you know, it's one-on-one -on -one with the pitcher, you know, there's none, you know, of this, all the nuances of the offense and, and so forth. So yeah, I think he would be a nice addition. Um, it just comes down to cost and, and what you'd have to give up to do so. But I think more than anything, you got to somehow figure out what to do at quarterback just so the quarterback 
doesn't lose you games here, but I don't know if there's any options that are better than what you had. And if you right. have to continue with Walker and, and DTR, I'd almost, like I said, I'd put together a package, you know, for DTR, just a very limited package that he could do and mix it up, you know, kind of throw him out there. Maybe that would, that would give a jolt to the offense. You kept him for a reason. You know, you, you were willing to trade Dobbs for a reason because you felt good enough about this guy to keep him. And I have to think they feel that Dobbs would have been better than PJ Walker, or they would have signed PJ Walker in the off season. So you see what I'm saying? DTR, they had to like him enough to favor him over a guy like PJ Walker to begin with. So, you know, yeah, he had a bad game. He's probably not ready, but I don't know if, if he's that much worse than, than where Walker is at this time. Right. Right. Uh, let's go to uh, OG Philly uh, who asked a sarcastic question earlier. I should point out that I riffed on a little bit. I'm sorry. I didn't point out it was sarcastic Philly. Um, he asked, Fred, do you know why JOK was not playing for almost two full quarters on Sunday? He pretty much played in the first and fourth only. A lot of people noticed this. He didn't get a lot of reps. Um, and uh, Jack Duffin wrote about it in terms of the stock up, stock down article that he did, which you should go read if he hadn't yet. Um, did we get any reason what, what was the, that he was hurt or coach's decision or any reason why we didn't see that much of JOK on Sunday? No, there was no press box announcement about injuries during the game. There was very few. The only update we got was no disrespect to Alex Wright, but they updated Alex Wright in the press box, but everybody was waiting on the Deshaun Watson. You know, they never in the press box, they, they probably said more on TV than they did to us. We're there watching the game, you know, traveled there and could get no answers other than they finally said, oh, he's cleared from the concussion. Well, that's great, but that isn't why he's standing on the sideline. And they never really did say an injury designation, but JOK, no, nothing was mentioned. Nothing was mentioned after the game. I don't know. I don't know if he, you know, Schwartz held him out for a mistake or I thought I read somewhere pro football focus had him graded out as one of the better defensive players for the game. Maybe I misread that, but um, I didn't notice he was out that much. Yeah. Yeah. I got to be honest with you. Pro football focus is uh, uh, sort of for me losing some of its uh, uh, charm, I guess you would say uh, they're, they're revising their ratings and a lot of stuff like that these days that, uh, uh, well, I don't know. It may, I don't know if it was them. Some I read somewhere that the rating was that he played pretty well. But if if he was benched or pulled or injured or whatever, we never heard anything. I did see Tony Fields out there a lot more. Yeah, yeah. I Tony thought he Fields was in was for Walker. Let's uh, let's keep talking about the defense a little bit. Obviously, incredible game from Miles Garrett. Uh, the turnovers finally started coming. Um, you know, the defense was a huge portion of why they won that game, but they gave up 38 points. Uh, the Colts schemed them very well. Gardner Minshew had a very good game against them. Um, Moke Dog wants to know if that's a trend, uh, but did you see anything worrying about that, Fred? They gave up a lot of yards to the Colts. Uh, did uh, the, the Colts uh, coach, you know, figure them out? Well, I did think they had a good scheme, and that's kind of what I'm calling for, you know, scheming with Garner Minshew and with, with Stefanski, with P.J. Walker or the Browns quarterback, is scheme with what you have to be successful. Minshew, Miles Garrett did say that the RPO or him running, they weren't expecting him to use his legs as much as he did. The previous game he threw three interceptions, so they might have said, Instead of throwing the ball, why don't you just run? And he did. And he had two touchdowns running. Um, and so that, if there's any trend, Lamar Jackson had some success doing that, and so did Minshew. I think teams are going to probably attack that more with the Browns' defense 
until they get that figured out. Um, but as far as the 38 points, yeah. Um, they came into the game giving up 200 yards a game on defense. Number one, the NFL. They're now about 243. They're still number one in that. But they give up 456 yards to the Colts. To me, from my observation, it was the secondary, the same problem they had with the George Pickens, you know, in the Steeler game, that quick mm. pass. They missed the tackle and he goes 75 yards. Greg Newsom missed a tackle there. Key in the game, should have cost him the game. 75 yards to Michael Pittman, you know, that, that he missed the tackle and so did Emerson. Early in the game, I think Miles Garrett jumped offside and, and the defense relaxed and they kept going. And Josh Downs got a 59-yard touchdown, got behind. They didn't quit. I'm more concerned with the secondary not making the tackles and preventing those big plays. Those right. those two plays were 130 yards of the 456. So just those, you two breakdowns by the by the secondary, you know, knocks you down to about 300 or less, which is more manageable. The one thing on the positive side is that the turnovers, I've been berating them. They've been trying to get turnovers, but they've been holding teams points down and yards down, but they hadn't been taking the ball away at all. They had four takeaways the whole season and they had four against the Colts. I said, they're going to start coming in bunches, and it was a big start. And if they wouldn't have had that, they would have got beat. The defense accounted for 17 points. One, the strip sack by Garrett in the end zone was a touchdown directly. The other one, strip sack by Garrett, they recovered on the 36 and turned it into a touchdown. So they got 14 points there. The interception by Ward was turned into a field goal. So there were 17 points off of those first three turnovers. Add in on special teams, the block field goal, that took away possible three for the Colts. Added three, the Browns got a field goal. And then, of course, Hopkins kicked four field goals, all three of them from over 50 yards. So special teams, defense, you know, did everything they could. But the turnovers, they won the turnover battle for the first time this year. They were mm -hmm. plus four or plus two. They had four, gave up two, and won the game. So if you wouldn't have done that, you wouldn't have won the game. So that's when you can put them together, you're going to have a really dominant defense. I'm not, yeah, it's concerning they gave up that much, especially to an inferior type of an offense led by Minshew and, and that group compared to the 49ers and some of the other teams that they have been holding down. But I mean, I like, I played baseball. I use a lot of baseball analogies. I played in games where there were supposed to be two top pitchers and one team scores five runs in the first inning. Well, then the other team scores four and it ends up 13 to yeah. 12 and you can't right. explain it. That's kind of what happened the other day, 39, 38, whoever had the ball last, you felt like was going to win. Except right. The, the Colts did get it back with 15 seconds, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, I'm more concerned if they do that again this week, they give up 400 or 500 yards. That's not the, the, uh, reason or a good lesson to win, you know, and I think of that and I've used this before Joe Woods defense in the playoff year, if you look back, they gave up about 26 points a game, which is, almost a touchdown more than they're giving up this year. Mm -hmm. um, the difference why they went to the playoffs and won is because they might have an 80-yard drive going, but the other team fumbled or threw an interception, you know, inside the red zone, and everybody forgot about them running up and down the field because the Browns got a takeaway. If right. you can take the ball away, and that year they finished like plus eight. They were one of the top in the league. And, you know, they got off the field before the team scored. They, they were giving up a lot of yards, a lot of points. So I think you got to have a balance. You want to take the ball away, but you also want to hold the other teams. You know, what Schwartz says is takeaways and points. 
They gave up 38 points, but they did take it away four times. <clears throat> well, I, I've been sounding the alarm about the Seahawks here, but one thing that the Seahawks uh, are struggling with is some consistency on the offensive line. They've had guys in and out of the lineup with injuries uh, all season long. They're getting Evan Brown back this uh, week, their center, but, uh, um, you know, it's been mix and match on the offensive line, and that might uh, mean good things for the Browns' uh, front seven this Sunday. We will see. Uh, let's talk a little bit about um, Derek Henry. Joe Mannix in the YouTube chat room says, Andrew Berry needs to get Derek Henry to save the season. And Drew in Brick City says, if it's true Baltimore is the leading candidate for Derek Henry, that is scary for the AFC North. Um, given you know the loss of Nick Chubb, obviously Jerome Ford being hurt, the fact that we're now at Kareem Hunt and Pierre Strong as our leading runners, um, what do you think about the notion of getting the uh, apparently very available Derrick Henry uh, at the tail end of his career to come in and uh, see if he can carry the Cleveland Browns for uh, the next 11 games, Fred? I don't know. I mean, I haven't watched enough of him. The Browns, he did nothing against the Browns. You know, I think he had 20 yards. And, but... I, I if I much rather have him in the, on the Browns than on the Ravens for sure. Um, again, it comes down to assets and and what you got to give up. You know, or is salary? I mean, I don't care money wise. That's not my money. But if if they think that's the missing piece, yeah. But I don't know. I don't. I really don't think that's a direction they're going to go on the priority list you know as far as I've I've said Nick Chubb was a special athlete but I don't think I mean Nick Chubb was drafted before this regime I don't think long term they're gonna you know draft a running back in the first round they're going to be more of a committee you know Jerome Ford fifth round you know guys get two or three guys like that and just form a committee, whether you agree with it or not, I just think that's the trend. And I think they're right in with the trend of the whole thing because right. they were willing to go into the season with an injured Ford who missed all of training camp as the backup to Chubb. And when there was available veteran running backs out there, Kareem yeah. Hunt was available all training camp, but they still didn't bring him in until Nick Chubb went down. So I would be highly surprised if they went all in to try to get Derrick Henry at this point. Yeah, I, I wrote about it in the Newswire about a week ago. And, uh, you know, my take on it was uh, unless he comes with a time machine, uh, I am uh, only willing to give up a, a lower round draft choice. And that's not what the rumors have the Titans asking for him. Uh, he I just the got the his Seahawks injury report. Mm -hmm. glancing at they got 20 guys listed i can't even get it all in my picture <laughs> now i don't know if they're all just resting or what but 20 that's a roster maybe carol's one of those overboard injury guys yeah that's almost belichickian uh the uh putting people on the injury report to make us think that they're limping into battle uh i have a hard time believing that everything i hear is that the seahawks are getting healthy um, doesn't matter in the YouTube chat room says he's heard rumors of Autry from the Titans to bolster the defensive line. I've heard that Autry was on the block, but I haven't heard him connected to Cleveland. Uh, I'd be interested to know, uh, if, if there's been a connection to Cleveland. Anyway, he says, could, could getting more defensive help solidify the actual identity of this team instead of trying to get more offensive help? You know, there's, there's talks of, all kinds, you know, the, the Browns, uh, uh, what, what's her name? Diana Rossini said the uh, Browns are both buyers and sellers at the trade deadline. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but, um, you know, would you see Andrew Berry sort of going over the top with the defensive line, bringing in yet more talent to try to increase the domination of this defense rather than, you know, paying high draft choices for an offensive help. 
I do not. And, you know, unless they feel it's a young up and coming guy that can be here long term, I could mm-hmm. see him make a trade for a Danielle Hunter if they could renegotiate and sign him before, um, you know, as part of the trade deal. But right. I don't see a, a rental. Um, he's usually looking, his MO is. You know, you saw it in free agency. It's usually guys ascending or coming off their rookie deals like an Oboe, Caranquo, those type of guys are who they're interested more term. You know, we saw it with Juan Thornhill. We saw it with John Johnson a couple years ago. The guys mm-hmm. that they had highly rated, you know, when they were coming out of the draft. But I, I, don't, I don't see them just selling out just for some defensive player to be in a rotation. Um, I think they like the rotation they have. It could change with an injury, but I think the, the focus would be on the offensive side of the ball. The offense needs to, you know, be able to do their fair share. You know, you went out and, and overhauled the defense and special teams with new coordinators, Jim Schwartz and Bubba Ventrone, the defense is number one in the NFL and the special teams I think is number two by at least one ranking I saw. And so the offense was supposed to be fireworks. And right now I think they're 31st, yeah. you know, in the NFL in, uh yeah, in, in passing yards. And that was supposed to be really what lit things up. So I would think any, any help needs to be on the offensive side, whether it be, help on the offensive line or in the backfield quarterback receiver somewhere there. Right. Right. Um, interesting question from, uh, the fizz biz here. Um, obviously this communication about what's going on with Watson has been garbled, uh, to say the least. Um, you know, he he points back to issues with dealing with Baker, Baker, OBJ, now Watson, does Stefanski hold any responsibility, in your opinion, Fred, for the sort of confusion, uh, garbled communication about the situation with Deshaun Watson? Well, I think he does. Um, but let's not be naive. He was brought in here to be part of a team, a collaborative team. Mm-hmm. And I don't think everything is anything is done in a vacuum. He's talking with Andrew Barry. He's talking with Paul D. Potesta and maybe even the ownership, but primarily those three guys are talking over these situations and, and what to do and how to handle it. I think in the game, he's making that decision. Okay. I'm not putting Watson in. It's my decision. I'm getting paid to make the tough decisions, but I think as far as game planning on how do we handle things, I think there's input by all these others, but you know, on the, on the field, those are his calls. Just like, I think it's his call. He said, Hey, and he probably ran it by the other two and, and they came to the thing. Yeah. Let's hold him out. That's probably the best. We agree with that. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the specific question about whether somebody's dictating maneuvers to him, um, I, I really don't think that's the case. I, I, I think that uh, it is, you know, consensus, it is groupthink, you know, with what's going on, uh, you know, with the decision-making within the team. And sometimes that does come out a little bit muddled uh, when you've got multiple people engaged in the decision-making. But it is an interesting question. Um, well, it's really, you know, going back to the Baker thing, that was the the head scratcher all along because here, I clearly may feel one to play, but you were paying Case Keenum $7 million and he was under Stefanski had the best year of his career and led them literally to deep into the playoffs in Minnesota. And yet you wouldn't even go to him with a banged up Mayfield. So, right. You know, never really got, you know, the total answer on that one. But as far as, you know, I think he learned from that situation but I don't know. I, again, I think they've mishandled this all the way from the get go um, from 
before the Ravens that whole week, we didn't even know he was injured. You know, they never put him on an injury report, you know, or anything until basically Wednesday of that week. And they're like, wait, what's going on here? Yeah. 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 That, that one was very strange. Um, James Porsche gonna, gonna finish us off here with, uh, an opportunity for us to give predictions on the Seattle game. Uh, typically, we don't roll out our prediction article until Friday or Saturday. So Fred and I haven't written up our predictions yet. But uh, at first glance, Fred, do you have any thoughts about uh, this upcoming tussle with Pete Carroll and uh, Geno Smith and crew? I think it's going to be hard, you know. Um, it's always tough going to the West Coast. You know, I remember... <laughs> remember when they got rid of Bernie Kosar because they told us Todd Philcox was going to be the answer and he fumbled the ball <laughs> in the first play and right out in Seattle and you know and just a lot of good things haven't happened out there I think they're going to have to again rely on the defense to make something happen I don't think you can count on 17 points coming from the defense 20 from the sponge you know and special teams but they're, they can't get in a shootout. They're going to definitely have to put the clamps on Geno Smith and that offense and hopefully get the turnovers to put the Browns in a position to kick some field goals and have a short field. So, yeah, I, I, I don't see right now. I don't, I'm not seeing a path that looks good to win this game. Yeah, I tragically have to agree with you, Fred. Uh, Geno Smith has sort of come back down to earth, but he is uh, uh, a measure better than P.J. Walker in the passing game. Our rushing game is not going to scare anyone uh, at this point in time, particularly not the Seahawks. And we're counting again on the defense to dominate, you know, get some turnovers for us to win in the special teams game. Uh, counting on us to sort of, uh, you know, Pittsburgh Steelers this one somehow. Um, the Steelers keep winning even though they probably shouldn't. And I sort of feel like we're asking the Browns to do something similar against the Seahawks. Uh, I think it'll be close. I don't think it'll be a blowout. Uh, but uh, uh, Well, they have been finding ways to win the last two weeks. They've got some mm -hmm. help. Yeah. But, you know, in the past, the Browns always lose these games, you know, like the Colts game and the <laughs> right. 49ers game. We know that well too much. Um, so, you know, like you said, it's a different culture. And who knows? Nobody at this time before the 49ers, we were all, I think most fans were already, you know, can the Browns even avoid getting blown out it was right. more like 35 to 7 some way somehow they win that game so again that works in the browns favor you know maybe the seahawks will overlook them maybe the ball will bounce the wrong way and as you wrote that 49ers game any given sunday maybe maybe the browns can they can stay afloat you know at four and two the Browns have not done this very often as Jack Duffin, I think, researched teams that are four and two, like 75, 76% of the time end up making the playoffs. Mm -hmm. If they can get to 10 wins, they have to get six more. Every one they got was a, was kind of a, a blessing. So you need six more wins. If you can just go six and five the rest of the way, you, you're in great shape to go to the playoffs. So, mm -hmm. um, even losing this week, four and three, coming back, the big ones are the Steelers and the Ravens coming up, getting things right, whatever. But maybe they can steal one. I think they stole one the last two weeks. So instead right. of their season being buried, they're still, you know, in great shape. It's just unfortunate. They're four and two. And, you know, Browns fans have to look at this. You get you don't feel very good about things because of the quarterback situation you know that isn't the recipe for long-term success this year. Right, right. Well, uh, it'll be an interesting game once again, and uh, we're hoping to come back here talking about three in a row for the Cleveland Browns. And uh, we hope that you join us next Wednesday at uh, 7 o'clock on OBR Weekly, your home for Todd Philcox references. 
I don't think there's any other show out there on the Cleveland Browns that drops Todd Philcox references on a regular basis like we do. <laughs> we'll see you next week. For Fred Greenham, I'm Barry McBride. Thanks for joining us on OBR Weekly. We'll see you next Wednesday. See you. Thank you.